So we've been looking at the book of Titus, and we come tonight to chapter 2. I promised verse 18 of chapter 1 last week, or 17, we'd pick up in verse 17 of chapter 1, but uh, since there is no verse 17, we better just go on to chapter 2. And, uh, but uh, we've been looking there at saying, okay, elders, pastors, you got to get them raised up. Tip Titus, you've got to get leaders in the church. You've got to get elders in the church. You've got to help them grow and mature. That's the only way you're ever going to have a healthy congregation is by having healthy leaders. And we ended last time with the exhortation, guys who are growing in the Lord, some of you mature men, you need to step up and become leaders. You need to become home fellowship leaders. You need to become people that are taking on ministries and running them. Um, It's easier to not do it. And you say, well, it'll be well worth it once you do it. It's really not. Not on this planet. Okay, I I don't want to try to paint some rosy picture here that it's going to be this wonderful thing. It's a very hard thing, and it remains hard, and it gets harder the older you get. But this is what we're called to, to deny ourselves, take up a cross, and follow Jesus. Being a Christian is putting our flesh to death and glorifying God. And so Christianity does not pay on planet Earth if you're really living the Christian life. And that comes right out of the Bible. Okay, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we of all people are the most vain. In other words, we are the most foolish of all people. If Christianity, if this planet Earth is all there is, it's not worth it to be a Christian. Because what you go through to deny yourself, take up the cross, constantly losing your life in this world to gain it in the life to come, Christianity doesn't pay for itself in and of itself on planet earth. We are shooting towards heaven. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.12, for I know whom I believed in, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've given to him until that day. So we are focusing on our heavenly rewards. And so, um, again, do you have the time? No. Are you gonna have the time 10 years from now? No. You reprioritize your life and you make God, and you make his church a top priority in your life. And the other things that are priorities, they get bumped down. And then all of a sudden, now you can take on leadership roles. Now you can take on ministry roles. There's people that have been in this church for 18 years, okay, 20 years. They've never taught home fellowship. They've never taught Sunday school. They've never ushered. They've never been to the orphanage. I mean, I can go down the list. They have literally not done anything but show up to church week after week, okay? And then it's usually three times a month they show up once a week. They're not benefiting themselves. They're not gonna grow in the Lord. You come a point in Christianity where now you have to put on the towel like Jesus did and to begin to serve one another, And if you don't do that, you are no longer going to grow. You're going to stay in a lukewarm position, following, falling backwards. There comes a point where you grow up as a Christian, 
Just like you grow up as a human being and you say, I've got to quit thinking about myself and start thinking about others. I've got to start serving the body of Christ. And if you're here tonight and you are not in a ministry, and especially if you've been in this church for years, I rebuke you. (laughs) You've, You've been taught better than that if you've been coming here for years. It's, it's nothing less than you doing what's best for you. And you're hurting yourself more than you are the body of Christ because God will raise up somebody else in your place. But you are hindering yourself from not growing. And I cannot encourage you enough to get out of that rut and to begin to serve immediately for your own health and for your own growth in the Lord. And so he's been telling him to raise these guys up and to say things like I'm just saying to you, which is hard to say, okay? Um, I have to die a few thousand deaths myself to say those kind of heavy words, okay? Because typically as a pastor, you want to see the church grow, not decrease. And uh, so you say those heavy kind of things, people got to, you know, get mad and leave or get mad and do the right thing, Um, but it doesn't let him stay in that place too much longer without being convicted. And uh, so now he's going to focus on the people in the church. Raise up the leaders. Okay, now, focusing on the people in the church. But as for you, Titus, as a pastor, as a leader in the church, who is a healthy pastor, who is a healthy leader, you need to be doing what all the other elders and leaders in the church are supposed to be doing, which is what? You're to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. You need to speak the things that are right and true. Many of those things are negative and are hard for people to hear. But you need to speak it. Today we're taught in all the church growth seminars to be seeker-friendly. To don't tell them things that are difficult for them to hear, are cutting, are hard. Because we want to, you know, cause people to have their ears tickled so they'll keep coming back to church and so forth. But Paul told Titus that that's not what you're to do. You're to say the things that are correct and true, even if they're hard to say and hard for people to hear, for sound doctrine. Now we're going to see this word sound several times through the book of Titus. The word sound means healthy, literally healthiness. You need to give them healthy, solid teaching. Again, in the seeker-friendly type of movement, they say, you know, don't give them doctrinal things. Give them light things, easy things for them to understand. Talk on self-esteem or how to be a successful parent or how to be a successful um, friend or, you know, the five ways to get out of depression or, you know, those kind of things. But although those things may be true and helpful, it's not the meat and potatoes we're going to grow by. And so here we are tonight going verse by verse, line upon line in our in-depth study. And by the end of it, it's going to be a lot of healthy, meaty vegetables and potatoes and steak to cause you to grow. It's not going to necessarily be entertaining It's not necessarily going to be easy to hear. But this is as Christians, we need to teach the people how to sit through a healthy Bible study. That's something that has to be learned. 
And not everybody will learn that. Not everybody will grow in learning how to listen to healthy, solid doctrinal teachings. But this is where we need to learn and grow and to help those people to learn. This is what we need to grow in. I love 2 Corinthians 2.17. Paul, speaking there, says, For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And so here he's making it clear that there are a lot of people that package the word of God to make it this ear-tickling, easy thing, you know, putting a lot of sugar in the cereal that's already sugarfied and and saying, here, eat this. You know, um, little kids, if you put eggs and toast in front of them or, you know, give them a Pop-Tart, and say, you choose what you're going to eat for breakfast, you know, the kid's going to say, forget the eggs and toast. I want the Pop-Tart. That's just our natural incantations. I actually would choose that myself. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why we don't have Pop-Tarts in the house. Because that's what they'll eat. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And snacks in between. And, uh, and so in the same way, if you're giving Pop-Tarts each week, guess what happens when you whip out the steak on occasion? They're going to gag on it. They're going to say, get rid of this, these vegetables. This is horrible stuff. No, actually, it's healthy stuff. You think it's horrible because you're used to, you know, eating the sugar-fied diet. And so, again, here, you need to help them to learn to enjoy good, healthy meals Things that are right, not just peddling the word of God, but in sincerity and in truth. Basically, in a nutshell, it's the Great Commission, isn't it? Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 said this, Go therefore and make what? Disciples, learners. Literally, it's, not, it's a word that we had to transliterate into Greek but it means one who has an appetite to learn. So there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So again, make them learners. Make them hungry for big, meaty, doctrinal teachings. Help them to have an ear to want things that are deep in God and, and, and healthy in the word. And help them. And once you create this learner, then teach them the deep things of God as you go through the scripture. Now, in particular, in verse 2, tell the older men, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and in patience. Now, in a minute, we're going to be on older women. And the inference with the older women is they no longer have children at home. So to give you an idea, we're talking about people whose kids have grown up and are gone. So at what age would that be? Well, it would sort of depend on how old you are when you start having kids, huh? But uh, typically you're looking in your late 30s, heading into your 40s. We're talking about older people. We're not talking old people, okay? Older people. 
Okay, we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, but I've actually found that old people sort of like being called old people. They don't mind. You know, people in their 70s, um, they know they're old. I mean, they, it's, yeah, I'm old. I'm an old person, you know. Um, they have no problem with that. It's the people between 30 and 50 that don't like the old thing attached. And once they get into their stigma, 60s, you know, the stigma's gone. It's like, call me old, because I am. But, uh, you know, we're still trying to fake people out, you know, in our 30s and 40s, you know, um, trying to make them, even though I'm really 42, you really think I'm 35, don't you? You know, we, we still try to play that game. But, uh, you know, once you get up in your late 50s, early 60s, no fooling anybody anymore. Um, the facts that are in. Um, <laughs> you've gone from being older to, anyway, you finish the sentence, to a little more older. Um, <laughs> So, anyway, I've got to speak to things that are sound doctrine here. I've got to get back to that. Um, so, first of all, he says you need to speak to them. It's harder for younger people to speak to older people. When I started pastoring at 24, I would often have older people come and just say, man, you know, what you shared with me really spoke into my life. Now, Often these people have been Christians longer than I had been alive. And so I'm thinking, here's somebody that's been 25, 30 years in the Lord, and I spoke to them, I blessed them, I ministered unto them, and I quickly understood it's not about me and my experience. I gave them the pure word of God, and the pure word of God never grows old. You can hear it for 50 years, and it still speaks deeper in a deeper way into your life. So when you're two years in the Lord, it speaks at one level. When you're 40 years in the Lord, it speaks into a different level. The same message, but it goes deeper into you because you have grown deeper. Your roots are gone deeper down into the earth. Thus, the word of God goes deeper as you grow deeper into him. And I would have people that would want marriage counseling. And again, sometimes these people have been married as long as I've been alive. And so again, they're not coming to me for my experience. They're coming to me to say, what, they, what saith the Lord? Here's our situation. What's the mind of God? And so even if you've only been married a year, hopefully as a pastor, you know the word and you can say, well, here's what the word says. And if not, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. I can't tell you how many times, especially in my earlier years, people would come in for counseling and I'd just say, you know, I don't know. Let me pray about it. Let me get some counsel from other pastors that have been around uh, longer than I have. And so as I'm seeking the Lord, as I get the multitude of counsel, we'll get back to the next week and it's like, hey, here's, here's what I sense the Lord speaking from the multitude of counsel and, and in prayer. Here's what the Lord is speaking. And and they're just like, wow, that's, that's the same thing the Lord's been showing me often as you get them to pray about it. So often we have problems, we just won't spend the time in prayer that we need to, to spend on it. So we need to speak. And the, Jeremiah, hold your finger here in Titus and turn over to Jeremiah, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 1. And Jeremiah had a whole hard time speaking to older men. And uh, listen to this direct teaching from the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, thus to us. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting there in verse 6. 
Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have... I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build up, and to plant. And then skip down to verse 17. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. So if you let yourself get intimidated, I'm going to dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of the Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you. They shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So here he makes it clear. I know you're intimidated. I know this is a difficult thing. But you need to man up and not let yourself be intimidated, but to stand up and to speak to the people that you're supposed to speak to. And of course, it wasn't just older people to him, but it was the kings. It was the leaders of the nations as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. So again, as you come to the older men to teach them, let that intimacy happen. There's a, there's a chemistry amongst us. And it's a chemistry that God has made because we're spirit to spirit. And when there's somebody your age, there's a, there's a chemistry that God's built in that makes you want to be like brothers. Now, as we're going to go on, he's going to say, tell the older women to teach the younger women. Why? Because there's a natural chemistry of men and women being the same age to be attracted to one another. And it doesn't matter whether they're physically attracted or not. You spend time with people, you will become attracted to them on a relationship basis. And it's a natural thing. That will happen. And so we have to understand the chemistry of things. That's why, um, again, I, I've taught on a number of occasions that, you know, don't get hooked up with a, a Christian with a non-Christian because you, there will come a point where you'll be attracted to them and want to start dating them. Don't let that thing happen. And so that's why we don't have the men in the church counsel the women in the church because uh, unless their husbands are there or unless their wives are there, present, because... It's just a natural chemistry thing that will happen. You don't go into it to intend it to happen, but um, as your, where your treasure is, there your heart is all also. And so often as a pastor, as I'm speaking, women become attractive, attracted to me because I'm speaking the word of God. And it's attractive in and of itself. And it's, just, it's, it's not an um, uncommon thing to happen and so you have to just realize these are the chemistry things that, that go on. And that's why if you ever see a, a woman coming up and talking to me, the leaders will come up and stand next to me because that chemistry thing can happen. So with older people, it's a natural thing to let 
the older men be like a dad to you. Let the older women be like a mother to you. Let that intimacy happen. It's a healthy thing. And as you get older, and as I'm finding myself getting older as a, uh, a man, it's great now with the younger girls. Because they, they come and they talk to me, and there's not that stigma, because I have a daughter who's, uh, how old is she? See, that's part of being old. She's 19. Um, and, uh, and so it's great now, because um, there's a freedom that I, I have now, that as I'm getting older, that I didn't have before. Being a father to uh, some of the younger girls in the church, and, and being that father to them, and they're a daughter to me. And, and so it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And so when you go to these guys, you don't have to be uh, Mr. Pastor um, t- talking to these guys, but you can go like a son to a dad and speak into their lives. And so help the older men to be. Notice this. We're going to see this on each of the levels. Help them to be. Help them to have this character. You know, the word character in the Greek literally is the word to engrave. So if you were to take a knife and and cut it into a chunk of wood or cut it into metal and you leave a scratch mark, that is the word for character. And so help them to have this carving into their hearts. It becomes a part of who they are. It says in Proverbs 29, 18, without a vision, the people perish. In the, that's the old King James. In the new King James, it says, go awry. Literally, meander. So if we don't have something definite to aim for, we're going to sort of wander around if we don't have a definite target. Now, as you get older, what typically happens to men? Think about you're in the world situation. You see a, an old person. What's the typical nature of an old person? We, we say he's a grumpy old man or he's a lustful old man, a dirty old man, right? He's a grumpy old man or he's a dirty old man. The flesh, the older you get, wants to get worse. I remember years back asking Gail Irwin, I said, hey, you know, the older you get in the Lord, the, the easier it is to live a godly life, right? And he goes, let me ask you this, Brian. When is it the time when it's the hardest for you to live for God? And I said, when I'm tired, when I'm achy, when I'm a little bit depressed, I I start falling into temptation and stuff. He goes, let me tell you what happens when you get older. (laughs) You get more tired, you you get more achy, and you have a tendency to be more depressed. So you tell me, is it gonna get easier the older you get? You have more years in the Lord, but the fact is, is the older we get, our bodies decaying, the harder we have to fight to not be that grumpy old man or that dirty old man. So if you don't have a vision of godliness, now on the other hand, in Christ, what do we see in the Bible as men get older? They become these mighty pillars of God. Men who know all of the scripture, who have read through it, like George Mueller, he read the entire Bible every season of the year, four times of the year through. He lived to be 93 years old. It's an amazing thing. He tried to retire in his late 70s. He actually gave over the orphanage of 2,000 kids and the two churches that he was pastoring. 
and a prayer meeting that was like another church. He gave it over to his son-in-law and then he went around the world speaking. (laughs) He came back in his late 80s and his son-in-law was too old. He had to retire. And so George Miller took back over the orphanage of 2000 and the two churches and the the, uh, prayer meetings he had, which is like a church. And he continued to do that till he was 93 years old. He had a clear vision of, of to be this radically healthy, godly man. There was an interview, a newspaper interview, right before he died. And he said that, that he wanted to come to George Miller to give him an interview. And George Miller said, no, it's only a, a couple of miles from where I'll be. I'll just come to you. And he was on the third floor of a building, this, where the, the uh, newspaper was, and And he goes, I expected to see this old guy hobbling up the stairs and, you know, and he walked in without even breathing hard. Although he was 93 years old and he was a tall man, he was six something, he stood completely up straight and in stature he was completely a healthy man. And uh, that's a vision, you know, to, to be healthy, to be strong, to be this mighty man of God. And so here, help these guys. You need to help them to have a vision of how they can grow bigger and better and more godly and more useful for the kingdom. Often, again, what people want to do in their old years is just sort of back off and, and do less until finally, when they're now at the place they could be a greater benefit as a disciple to the body of Christ, they're doing nothing. They could be radically teaching home fellowships at 70, 80 years old. There's these mighty pillars of God. My kindergarten Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Stoops, I know she continued to teach Sunday school up until uh, her late 80s, her and her husband both, still teaching the same kindergarten class. You know, try to figure out how many kids she radically impacted. I think a big part of the reason I'm in the ministry today is because of her ministry in the kindergarten years. Just a radical, godly woman. Her and her husband both, just amazing people. It just sort of penetrated your life, even at that age. And just, I mean, here I am now in my 40s, and it's still touching my heart. I can still picture those flanograph stories and her prayers and her love for God. It just went right through me. And to, and to see these people again where they could be backing off and saying, oh, I need to do less because I'm older and achy and tired and you know, let the young people do it. No, and I can give you so many examples of, of older people who just are mighty for God. And so again, he's saying, help these men to see, first of all, to be sober. That, can, that means don't be intoxicated. Now, um, in, in a literal sense, don't, don't let alcohol become a, a part of your life. Again, in these days, alcohol was a, a major medicine. So, you know, if you're achy or don't want to feel, you know, want to get a good night's sleep, you know, you sort of get... Snockered and, and get passed out and go to bed and, you know, wake up a little drowsy in the morning. But that was, it would be a lifestyle of a lot of people. And don't, don't do that. Don't be a person. 
Also, this word can be metaphorical. It's used a lot of times in a, in a metaphorical way throughout the New Testament to be spiritually sober-minded, to, to not let yourself become drowsy spiritually uh, as you get older, but to be more dynamic than ever before. Also, to be reverent. Uh, we would say today, dignified. In other words, when people look at you, they're saying, wow, there is a, a man of, uh, of just of renown, of dignity, you know, so often we like to be silly and cut-ups and goofy and, and um, we like to joke around and, and, and that's fun. And you can do that in certain venues uh, with your friends. But, you know, when we're in the world and I think also when we're at church, we need to, we need to be dignified people in, in such a way that when people are hurting, they, want, they know they're going to get help. You see that. I, I've had to take the junior high pastors and high school pastors through the year and through the years and you know you hang out with a bunch of junior hires a bunch of high schoolers you want to start getting goofy like them and I have to pull the high school teacher or high school pastors aside and say look you can be a goofy high schooler with these high schoolers but when they're needing counseling when they're needing some ser- serious spiritual help you're the last person they're going to go to because they don't want some goofy guy they want somebody who's dignified to pour their heart out to and so there's that, that line where we have to be somebody who, that people would want to pour their heart out to and talk to and get counsel from. Also to be temperate. Um, literally the word in the Greek is shafon, which is safe or safe in mind. We would also say today self-controlled. Um, and so to have a, a, this life about you that's, that's under control. Um, you've got a balanced life, a moderate life. You're not too extreme this way or too extreme that way. You, you have a, a balance in your life and you're self-controlled. And then again, sound. Healthy, proper, whole. Literally, you're, you're a whole person. And there's no cracks in your life where, you know, if I were to start rummaging through your closets, I'm not gonna find some skeleton in there. You know, um, a lot of times people are godly, but they got this drinking problem that nobody knows about. They're these godly people, but they got this pornography problem they're dealing with. Um, you know, in other words, you're not, there's, there's, no, there's no cracks in my life. So you want to go through my drawer at home or look at my computer or see what's in my cabinets? Go for it. There's, there's not anything different than what you're seeing. I'm a whole person. And this is what he's saying here. And now how are we to be whole? First of all, in faith. We're people Sound in doctrine, we're walking by faith. And again, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, God's going to repeatedly challenge your faith. You're going to think, man, I'm tithing, I'm giving offerings, I'm trusting the Lord, and all of a sudden, God will let your finances be attacked. Well, I know you'll tithe and give offerings in good times. How will you do it when you're struggling? Or all of a sudden, you have marriage problems where you've never had marriage problems before, and it's like, how... God, you know, the devil and the Lord are having a talk, talk and he said, yeah, he's serving you because he's got such great marriage and his health is good and his finances are good. You know, let me out his marriage and then see if he's still loving you and, and believing in you and walking by faith. And so you're gonna go through those dark nights of the soul, whether it's with your marriage or your kids or your health, your finances, um, depression, those, those things are gonna, if they don't happen in the natural process of life, 
God will give Satan permission to throw that at you. So everybody can, you know, walk solid when things are going well. Do you, how solid is your walk when you're under attack? And so you've got to be sound in faith. Secondly, be sound in love. First of all, towards God, loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then loving your brothers, loving people as you want to be loved. And then sound, and I think for older men, this is the key one right here, sound in or healthy in patience or endurance. How can I say this? I wish somebody would have told me about this a few years ago. But as you get older, as you have many positive experiences, you also have, I think, more negative experiences in life. And you have a tendency as you get older to get more cynical, more sarcastic. And I've seen this with a lot of older people as they get into their 40s and especially into their 50s. They, they are just so sarcastic or so um, depressed, really, about everything. They have, they've lost their complete faith in the church, in man, often in God. They've let themselves get to that place where they don't have the ability to endure. And as we grow older, we've got to realize that we have an uphill climb before we meet our maker. And we need to brace ourselves for that uphill climb. And to not let man get us down. You know, if we believe what the Bible said about man all along, we'll never get depressed. You know what the Bible says about man? He's wicked. (laughs) He's evil. His heart is desperately, deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. There's no one good. No, not what? One. Okay? So if you have a good biblical basis of your view of man, you won't get bitter. If you expect every man to wrong you, then you won't be bitter about it when he wrongs you. If you expect every single person to fail you, then you're never going to be disappointed when they fail you. The church here is full of a bunch of sinners. The church here is full of a bunch of weak people that came to church here tonight because we need help. We need to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged to live the Christian life another day. Our faith has been attacked. Is there really a God? Does he really answer prayer? Is the Bible really true? Under the simplest things, we're under attack. And so when people come to church thinking everybody here is this wonderful Christian person who's not struggling, who's always doing everything right, then you're gonna be disappointed. But guess what? God's working with us. And he's being patient with us and kind with us. And that's the way we need to be towards one another. God's not giving up on us and we shouldn't be giving up on one another. And so we have sinned, we are sinning, we're gonna sin again. And we're gonna sin against one another. We don't mean to, we don't want to, but we are gonna offend one another. And you just gotta get over that fact. We're a bunch of porcupines. The closer we get, the deeper we poke. The more blood we draw, and if you want to become a hermit, say, I just want to show up, sit on the back row, leave as soon as it's over. I don't want to talk to anybody. You know what? You're right. You won't get poked that way. But you'll also never have friends that way. 
and you'll never get really united and connected in the body that way. You gotta get close to people and you're gonna get stabbed and you're gonna get hurt and you're gonna bleed and you just jump right in there and get poked again the next week. That's the way it works, that's life. If you haven't figured that out, figure it out. That's life. And so we need to have that endurance. All the disappointments you have, just like the water off a duck's back, let it go and press on. All your depression, you know what? Get over it. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always and everything give thanks. Do it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, what? Rejoice. Paul was in his 40s writing that. He knew what he was talking about. God is telling him, hey, you know what? Rejoice. Get up and rejoice. You're in a dungeon in Philippi and you just got beaten with rods? Rejoice. (laughs) He's down there praising the Lord in prison. You have a, marriage is going great? Great. If it's struggling, rejoice. Things are going well with your kids? Great. If they're going horrible, rejoice. Whatever the area of life it is, get your eyes on the Lord and rejoice because we are not finished till we see the Lord face to face. Don't start putting it on glide when you're in 40 and the time you're in your 50s, you're almost at a stop. The time you hit your 60s, you are at a stop. And now you're backsliding. Here you are in your 60s drinking and looking at pornography and and falling away from the Lord and then you don't make it to heaven. Guys, you're not done until the race is over. And the race isn't over until you're standing face to face to God. And if you think you can cruise for 20 years and be healthy spiritually after 20 years, you're wrong. So you need to be seeking the Lord as if you're a brand new Christian. You need to be in the word diligently, methodically, disciplinedly. That's not a word, but just go with it. You need to find yourself just on the fa- in, in your face every day seeking the Lord in the word. And you know what? After you've done that 20 years, you've got another 20 years to do it. So I'm simply saying to you here tonight, if you didn't get up and get in the word this morning, you blew it. Okay? I don't care if it's one minute or one hour. You've got to meditate on God's word day and night. Okay? If you are watching stuff that you shouldn't be watching on television or movies you're checking out and they're compromising you, they're stumbling you, stop it. I don't care if you are been a Christian for 40 years. We all have the same tender, innocent hearts. Repent. Whatever's lovely and true and pure and worthy of praise, only let yourself meditate on those things. If you've gone back to drinking, you know, a couple of beers here and there and you're being stumbled by it, stop it. Guys, you got a long ways to go. You older men, I'm talking to you guys. You got a long ways to go. I don't care if you're 59. You may be lived to be 99. You got a long ways to go. Pick it up. Get back on. You got to jump back on the horse, man, and start bunking that thing. You got to tame it. You got to get going again. And this is what pastors like Titus and me are supposed to be saying to you older men. Well, to the older women, 
Now, you're not older as a woman until you're at least in your 80s, just to make that clear. Um, Actually, as we go on, we're going to see your kids are heading out of the house. You are now classified as an older woman. So likewise, you're to be reverent in your behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So speak to the older women. And again, that's not an always an easy thing to do, but you need to have a platform where you're able to encourage the older women. Again, in 1 Timothy 5.2, he says, to the older women as mothers. So talk to them again in that intimate way as you would your own mother. And then again, to be you're, what the godly, you know, if you, again, if you think of the world, how are older women? Typically, in a worldly situation, they um, become, you know, you say an old hag. Again, they get grumpy and they're mad at everybody for, you know, they're mad at their husbands for not picking up after themselves and they're mad at their neighbor because they, you know, ran their lawnmower too loud and, you know, they're gossips, you know, they're out putting the clothes on the line and, you know, there's a next door neighbor and it's like, oh, did you hear what happened across the street? I noticed he came in at two o'clock in the morning last night and he was by himself. I wonder what he was out doing. He looked like he stumbled a bit walking in the house. You know, there's this gossip thing and that's typically in the world scenario, not every woman does that, but typically the older women become gossipy, grumpy, you know, they're watching soap operas all day, so they're worldly. And so, again, without a vision, you're going to meander. You're not going to have a, a, a tight target to shoot at. So older women, you're to have a reverent behavior. This is a radical thing right here. This is the only time this word is used in the Bible. And it comes from the word higher prep. Uh, in the Greek and it literally comes from the root of being priest-like. Literally what he's saying to these older women, be like a priest, priestly. In godliness, you're, you're, you're as a, uh, you know, what were the priests? The priests were mediators in the Old Testament I'm talking about between God and man. They went to God on behalf of the people and they went to the people on behalf of God. And that's literally what he's saying. You older women need to be mediators. You need to have the role of a priest going to God on behalf of these younger gals as we're going to see in a minute. And you're going to these younger gals on behalf of God. You have this priestly role. You're this radically godly example in all holiness. And then he says also, not slanderers, okay, gossips. Interesting, the Greek word here is the word diablos. You know what that word means, right? It's also translated, what? Devil. That's, that's the accuser, the, the gossip. That's the Greek word, devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. So don't let yourself have an inquiring mind. The inquiring minds want to know. Guys, it's fleshly minds that want to know. And, you know, um, the curiosity of the cat, what did it do to it? It killed the cat, okay? So don't let yourself go curious, gals. Don't let yourself want to know, you know, who's the latest star dating who and, you know, where did they go spend the weekend together and be ignorant concerning the things of the world. 
don't even know those stars' names and who they're dating and, you know, what beach they went off and spent the weekend. Don't even know. Don't even know about that. Be ignorant of those worldly things. And then again, not given much to wine. Literally, it's enslaved. Wine hasn't grabbed on a hold of you and in control of you. And so don't let yourself, again, as you get older, like I say, you want to use that medicinally. Don't let yourself become addicted to alcohol. And then teachers, notice here again, teachers of good things. Uh, literally positive, encouraging things. Gals, your job as you get older is to be speaking into the lives of younger women. That's your job. Older men, your job is to become leaders in the church, disciples to the whole church. Gals, as we studied in 1 Timothy, are not to be pastors and teachers to the whole church. That's not God's call in your life. Your, your um, role, gals, is to raise up children, whether they're yours or not, as we studied in 1 uh, Timothy, and then also to speak into women's lives, we learn here in Titus. So your life is to be this godly example. And it's like you're going on behalf of God to these women to speak into their lives, things that would encourage them. So what are these older women to teach the younger women? Notice here again, Titus, the pastor, is not to be teaching the younger women. Okay, as we're going to see here, he teaches the older men, the older men, or mimim. I'm not sure exactly what creation, but it's some creation. The older men, he's also to teach the older women, and he's to teach the younger men. But Titus is not to teach the younger women. Notice that. He teaches the older men, the older women, and men. But the older women, not Titus, is to teach the younger women. Again, this is where I, the whole purity thing I was talking about earlier. So help the older women to learn how to teach the younger women. What are they to teach them? First of all, um, they are to teach <clears throat> the younger women, admonish them, exhort them to love. To let the love of God grow in their lives. Um, Wives and moms, they really do get the short end of the stick most of the time. So much fall on the women, doesn't it? So much of the, the hard work in the home, whether it's the food and keeping the house clean and the things washed and helping kids with the schoolwork. And, you know, dads help, but they're pretty lame. Um. At a lot of those things. I mean, women are just uh, typically smarter than men. I mean, that's facts. I mean, go look at the SAT scores of, of girls versus guys. Um, typically, women are smarter than, than men. Um, typically, women can work harder than men in a lot of ways. They have greater endurance. And so, typically, everybody just lets things keep falling on the women. Great, you're so good at it, we'll just let you keep cleaning the house. Um, You're so good at it, you can cook all the meals. Uh, Gee, you're so good at the money, just run the finances. Yeah, you're so good at helping the kids, I'll just let you do everything. And it seems to naturally go that direction. And 
So women can often get embittered the fact that they're getting the short end of the stick. But gals, remember that your reward is in heaven and that be it unto you according to your faith. God will give you as much grace as you, want, you need. You come to him in your time of need and even though the weight gets heavier, God will give you greater grace to endure it. And uh, I'm confident that the greatest people in heaven will probably be all women um, because of uh, the great amount of work and labor of love they have done uh, on this planet. So let that love grow in your life. And uh, like Ephesians 3 says, um, that, that growth in the inner man that takes place um, until you're rooted and grounded in love. And First uh, Thessalonians 3.12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and do all just as we do to you. So let your love increase more and more. How? In the home. First of all, to the husband. Notice here throughout the scriptures, we've got to be taught to love. You know, we have this, in America, this romantic sense. Oh, you know, I just felt like I loved them, you know. And you always hear this in premarital counseling. Oh, we have everything in common. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, what? Well, well, I know what you have in common. You got the hots for him. He's got the hots for you. You want to get married. And that's everything to you right now. Um, So you think you have everything in common, but soon after you get married, you realize Gee, honey, see you later. I'm going to go hang out with the guys. Oh, that's fine. He's already going to hang out with the girls. Um, Guys and girls don't have much in common. And whatever you have in common, it's because you made it in common and you got to work at it because after a while you get bored doing that. You got to find something else to be in common about. It's a difficult thing to find things in common. And so, again, women often are not treated lovingly and kind as it says in Ephesians 5, that we're to love our wives as our own bodies. (laughs) That's sort of a put down on the guys. But we're to nurture to them and cherish them. And typically, guys really got to think on that one and really work at that on a daily basis, or they're pretty big jerks. And after being married to a pretty big jerk for 20 or 30 years, it can get old. And so you've got to help The women see, I know the guy's a jerk, but you gotta love him anyway. And, 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 you know, here's the light at the end of the tunnel. In 30 years, you'll finally figure out how wonderful you really are. So just hang in there for a couple more decades and you'll make it. And so you gotta help the younger women to see, hey, it's gonna get better. Just keep loving him and, and, you know, kill him with kindness. And and one day he'll grow up and, and he'll start being a better husband. Also with the kids. Kids can be pretty unthankful and pretty rude, especially as they start getting into the teenage years. Um, You know, they challenge you on everything and they can get pretty mouthy and they can get pretty ballistic at times. And and you get to that point, it's like, you know what? Go hang yourself, you know? And you just want to sort of give up on them and you got to stay in there. And the older women got to teach younger women, you know what? 
They go through this age. They go through this stage. That's where they are at 13. That's where they can be at 15. That's the way they can be at 18. Just hang in there. Keep loving them. Keep disciplining them. Keep being consistent. Encourage them. And so, again, as much as you think, oh, you don't have to tell me to love my husband. I just always will love him. You know, there comes a point where you have to consciously make an effort to start loving them. Oh, I love my precious little kids. You don't have to tell me to love them. I love them so much. I'd do anything for them. There comes a point where you have to say, you know what? You got to love them. It's like, oh, I forgot about that one. Okay. You know, I got to go and get on my knees and get the bitterness out of my heart and, and really work on loving them. And again, this is where the older women have to be there like a coach as this mediator on a pretty constant basis, encourage the women, don't get depressed. You know, I know you're depressed. Put away the alcohol. That's not the way to go. Uh, you got to go on the offensive here and live a godly life and love your husband, love your kids. Also to be discreet or self-controlled, chaste, which is to be pure, and homemakers, to grow in your skills at home, to have greater skills in the kitchen, in keeping the home, in sewing or knitting or planting a garden, you know, so your heart's in home. Where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. And you get to the point of saying, you know what? I've been feeding the food that these kids complain about every meal for the last 15 years. You know, I clean the house and the husband, he could care less whether the house is clean or dirty. Um, why am I knocking myself out? And you know what? We could use the extra money. So they go get a job. And at job, they're just, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so organized. You work so hard. You're so great. And it's like, you know what? Why, why even try at home anymore? I do a little bit at work, and they radically appreciate me over there. And, you know, at home, I can knock myself out, and nobody even cares. And that can be a tendency to say, forget the family. My real aim is to please these people over here. Now, in a perfect world, which, as you know, we are not in a perfect world, wives would not be working. Especially moms would not be working outside the home. They would be working in the home. And then when their kids are gone, now they are helping out with the grandkids. However, I would also add that now we're no longer in... uh, you know, living in a rural society where you have to go get the chicken, you know, spend two hours a day plucking the chicken, you know, breaking its neck and, and you know, uh, cooking it and having to go out and, um, <clears throat> in the woods and find some vegetables and there's some wild asparagus and bring it home or whatever. Um, you know, now we just pop it in the microwave, we're done. <laughs> you know, so a meal that would take five hours to prepare, you know, 100 years ago, you know, now you can prepare it in, in much less time, uh, depending on which way you go, anywhere from, you know, 30 seconds to, <laughs> you know, an hour. So it's a, it's a real possibility that many women, if they did stay at home all day, would become busybodies, and it could actually be unhealthy for them not to be working. So, again, there's no command of the Lord either direction, and 99% of you have to work just to make ends meet. And I understand that. And I know God understands that. Okay. However, again, your heart needs to be in the home. 
And you need to continue to put your treasure in the home. So your heart will be there. And you need to work at growing in your skills through the year. So it's not a drudgery. Um, I've noticed that with teaching Sunday school, for example. If people have been teaching Sunday school for five years and they haven't grown in how to teach that Sunday school class, they often want to quit or go to some other ministry. But if somebody's taught Sunday school class for five years and they're growing, they're getting better at teaching that Sunday school class, they're encouraged and they love it and they, can't, they think it's the greatest thing ever and more people ought to do it. And I find if you're not growing in what you're doing, you, you want to quit doing it. And so gals, if you're learning more things to cook and, and different things and, and you're enjoying it and husbands jump in there and learn and be a part of that, it's something that you grow and your heart will be in the home. And so that's where you always, your heart needs to be, even if you do work outside the home. By way of curiosity, how many of you women do work outside the home? Go ahead and and raise your hand there. Yeah, so uh, honestly, it was about 80%. Um, I would have thought it would have been uh, far more than that. And then also to teach them to be good. You know what the Greek word for good here is? Good. (laughs) Versus being not good, (laughs) bad. Being a good person. Again, kind, loving, gentle, patient, self-controlled. To be a good person. And I'll tell you what, the older I get, the more cherished I am of people just being good. Because I realize it's hard to be good. There's too many temptations out there to be bad. It's hard to be good, to be always kind, always putting other people first, always being nice. And, and you see that in just so many venues, whether it's trying to find a parking place at the grocery store. The other day I was there and I was waiting and I had my blinker on and uh, this person came and just clearly looked right at me and just right in front of me took the parking place and I was good I said there you go and I went on Um, I did think for a minute I should let the air out of one of their tires I did think the thought but it was a passing thought and I just let it go Um, but uh, again you know holiday time in a rush trying to do 20 things in 10 minutes and let it go but to be a good person and then also to be obedient to their husbands. And that's really a whole Bible study in and of itself. And so maybe we should just really concentrate on that next week. What do you guys think? Amen. Yeah, it's a very masculine amen. Uh, in Ephesians, uh, <laughs> in Ephesians 5.22, it says this. Why submit to your own husbands as to the Lord? Notice, wives submit, and also in Colossians 3.18 Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So, again, it's hard to do, gals, to respect your husband when he's not really a very respectable person. But you need to do it. In the word love here and in the word submitting here, it's, it's saying do it in spite of who they are. You're not loving them because they're lovely. And you're not submitting to them because they're worthy to be submitted to. You're doing it as to the Lord because that is fitting. And then living your life in such a way, here's a heavy one, that you're not blaspheming God. 
Again, guys and girls, all of us, we say we're Christians and then we're gossiping to the next door neighbor about the other neighbor who we've been trying to witness to. They can see through that. You're not being good. You're just not being a good person. What kind of testimony is that? I've seen it on many occasions and so have you where non-Christians are nicer than the Christians. I mean, just on a level of niceness, okay? On the Richter scale of just being nice. And it's like, you know what? Why would I want to go to your church when this guy over here is a total heathen is nicer than you? I would rather have that heathen over there as my next door neighbor than you. You're blaspheming the name of God because I guarantee you 100% of everybody who would hang around Jesus would want to be his neighbor. So you're not being like Jesus. And so don't let the name of God be blasphemed with your life. Well, I really thought I was going to get a bit farther here tonight, but we're going to have to stop because of the time's sake. But we'll pick up there, uh, not next week. Next week we're going to have a communion service together, but then the following week we'll be back. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we do ask right now that you would just penetrate it into all our hearts. That we would all be here tonight just reminded of things we shouldn't really even have to be reminded about. But yet we do because we're sinful and we're weak. So we ask in Jesus' name right now that you would just inscribe upon our hearts. Let your word be a living word being inscribed upon our hearts this night. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Hey, greet somebody around you. Tell them you love them. And uh, find out a way you can pray for them through the rest of this holiday season. God bless.